introduction to it before we ever got here. So we're going to look at what he's saying to the church today. And I believe one of the greatest spiritual truths, one of the, I'm not saying it's the only one, but one of the greatest spiritual truths that the church can come to an understanding of in this day. But let's look at the, what Jesus said about the Holy Ghost in St. John chapter 16, verse number 7. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, which means good, advantageous, and necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, all one and the same, will not come unto you. So, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Well, we already know that Jesus has left and the Holy Ghost has been poured out and he's been here ever since Acts chapter 2. What was he going to do when he came? Verse 12, and we just skipped over a few verses for the sake of time, but you can read them later. Verse 12, Jesus said to his disciples that was standing there, He said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them, comprehend them, understand them, perceive them now. It's all wrapped up in that word. So in other words, it's not always time to tell what you know. It's not always time to tell what you know. Did Jesus know all things? Certainly. But it's not time to tell all things. There's a time and a season for something to be released, or revelation to come to us in the body of Christ. Not outside the Word, but inside the Word. So Jesus said, when the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter has come, He's going to lead you into some things. Verse 13, what's He going to do? He said, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, which is also the Comforter, which is also the Holy Spirit, which is also the Holy Ghost, all one and the same. He said, when, he, when the Spirit of truth has come, what will He do? He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear from where? The throne room of God, from heaven itself. What He shall hear from heaven, what will He do? That shall He speak, and He will what? Show you things to come. In other words, He can reveal to you future events. Showing you things to come means He will reveal to you future events. Not only can He tell you what's going on presently, but He can reveal to you future events. And there's different gifts in the body that God uses that way. We need all the gifts, everybody working together, to be able to see things and know things supernaturally. One thing that we know today that the enemy is endeavoring to do, but he's not going to win. But he's endeavoring to do it as he's trying to infiltrate the church and water down the message of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of things being taught today under the guise of Christianity that if Jesus Christ was here in the flesh, he would rebuke them and say, you are of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. Now this is people under the guise of Christianity. Now the word Christian is just a passing byword that everybody has adopted because it's popular. But I remember in old time Pentecost, it wasn't popular to be a Christian. In fact, everybody tried to hide the fact that they were a Christian. But now you ask somebody what you are, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And Christian means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. When So when somebody says, I am a Christian, we need a definition of that word that they are declaring to really understand. Because some people that call themselves Christians are practicing homosexuals and lesbians that preach from the pulpits of the United States of America. Some people that call themselves Christians actually practice satanic worship and call it of God. 
Yes, these things are going on, and they're going on under the guise of Christianity. Now, these things that are happening and going on, also, there is false doctrines. Now, what is false doctrine? False doctrine usually starts out, not necessarily, but usually, as a general rule, false doctrine will start out with a biblical truth taken to the extreme. Any biblical doctrine taken to the extreme becomes error. There's a lot of good truths, but what we're to do is to stay in the middle of the road when it comes to balanced biblical doctrines. And that's what we're endeavoring to do today. But the, the devil himself is trying to get the church into a position and a place that it's been infiltrated with false doctrines and seducing spirits because seducing spirits operate that way. So turn in your Bibles to Timothy, and let's start there. This is what God, we're talking about what God is saying to the church. Just keep remembering Lulu and you'll be all right. If Lulu jumps in your lap, make sure the window Lulu came in uh, out from, you throw her back out of there. Lulu, get rid of Lulu. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul wrote by the Holy Ghost, and this is what he said. The Apostle Paul wrote by the Holy Ghost, 1 Timothy chapter 4, says now, and he's talking to the church. He's addressing the church. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to the sinner. He's talking to the saint. He's talking to the Christian. He's talking to the church world, the body of Christ. So he's not addressing the church. He's not talking to the world out there. I mean, he's addressing the church, not talking to the world. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Now what spirit? The Comforter, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, all one and the same. That's what he's talking about right here. Who is this Spirit? It's the Spirit that Jesus said the Comforter was going to come. What's He going to do? He's going to lead you and guide you into what? All truth. That's what he's, And He's going to show you things to come. So He'll reveal to you present events, past events, and future events. He'll do that. And so Paul is saying, the Spirit speaketh expressly. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. That in the latter times... well. You know, you don't need a calculator to figure out that we're in the latter times. But in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Now, there's been a few wars fought over departing from the faith. But this is kind of the way I explain this, you know what I mean? And I'm just a country boy. And a lot of people, again, graduated from Penn State. I graduated from the state Penn. And so my definitions are simple because they have to be. Uh, but, uh, you know, when he says depart from the faith, uh, well, we're here tonight. It's what's the name of this church? Right? Family church. Isn't that right? You're here tonight. The only way you could depart from this church, and this is a heavy revelation, is because you was first at this church. Right? You can't leave family church if you're not at family church. I know you may have some other ideas, but it don't work you got to be somewhere to leave somewhere. So depart from the faith meant they had to be in the faith. Well, this is an obscure faith. This is something that maybe they didn't have it just right. No, that's not what Paul said. If Paul would have meant that, he would have said that. He said depart from the faith that made it clear. Faith in what? Faith in the fact that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and He was the Savior of the world and He was the only way of salvation. Now, there are people that's preaching today that Jesus Christ is not the only way of salvation under the guise of Christianity. 
and that is false doctrine. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. So Paul said here in the Bible, Now the Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. How? Giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and what? Doctrines of devils. Notice two specific separate things. Number one, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So Paul is addressing the church. So we're using this scripture to address the church today. What is God saying to the church? Paul said, Why are they going to depart from the faith? They give heed to what? Seducing spirits. Seducing spirits, just like the Bible and God has biblical doctrines and Jesus has doctrines and ordinances of His Word that He wants us to follow, Satan has doctrines that he wants you to follow too. He has doctrines. Because it says doctrines of who? The devil. Doctrines of the devil. False truths that the devil presents. So he gives heed to seducing spirits. So I know you want to know this already, because I do too. It's revelation to me. But how do seducing spirits seduce born-again, spirit-filled Christians? That's a good idea. It's a good question. But how do seducing spirits operate? I tapped into this world quite by mistake. I wasn't looking for this world. But remember, I got born again on my third escape from prison, driving down the road in Galveston, Texas, the first week of May of 1982. And I entered into a world of the occult and demonic possession that I did not know existed. Now, I lived in that world, but I didn't know how dominated and controlled I was by demons. I was in prison at one time for committing armed robbery. And I'm not proud of that. But I was possessed by devils. And these things operated through me because I yielded to them. When I became a born-again Christian, turned myself in off my third escape from prison because the Lord told me to. I received the Lord as my Savior. He said, you've got to come clean with me. I knew what he was talking to me about. In other words, you, got to, you need to quit lying, cheating, conniving, stealing, saying you're somebody that you're not, you know, run under fictitious names and IDs, evading the authorities, and turn yourself in. He said, if you do, he said, I'll get your life out of the mess you've got it into, and you'll do what I called you to do. So I went back to prison facing life without the possibility of parole. But I come to the decision that I would rather stay in prison the rest of my natural life and, excuse me, make heaven my home than I would to bust hell wide open. So it didn't matter. Because at that time, I didn't know what God was going to do and understand all of that I know about God today. And I certainly don't know all about God that I should know. In fact, every day I see I need to learn more. But uh, so I just, on my little knowledge of God, I decided I'm going to trust Him because everything I had tried failed. So I went back and, of course, I'm standing here today and I'm not on escape. Pastors had me checked out well. Your pastors have. <laughs> Had me checked out well to make sure, you know. And, uh, and I have a full pardon. I have been pardoned from all crimes that I have ever committed. My record has been wiped clean and washed clean, or actually the ink of the government has written away my record, and I have the right to own and possess a firearm. Only God could do such a thing. But the Lord kept His word. But anyway, I went into prison 
as a born-again Christian. I started reading. Somebody told me to start reading in the book of John. And the way I was so excited, I thought the rapture of the church would take place within at least one week. And so I was trying to witness to everybody I could. You remember that enthusiasm that y'all lost that you need to get back, you know what I mean? And just run all over this place around here and just pack it out with Jesus, you know what I mean? But I had that enthusiasm and I wanted everybody to know this Jesus and I was telling them about him. And I got over there to the book of Acts and I grew up in old time Pentecost, but I'd come away from that and been away from it for so long that it was foreign to me. And so I got to the book of Acts and I read through John and I stepped over and I got over to Acts chapter 1 and Jesus gave a commandment to his disciples. He told them and gave them a commandment not to depart from Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then in Acts chapter 2 it told about that. So I slipped around fell in and was filled with the Holy Ghost there at Holman Prison in Atmore, Alabama, which is about 60 miles north of Mobile. If you come up Interstate 65, you get off at the Atmore exit, turn left or go, it would be west, and go out through there. You'll pass G.K. Fountain Prison. Just keep going about a mile, and there'll be a sign on your left said Holman Prison if anybody was interested. You know what I mean? <laughs> You might not have a career path along these lines, but if you, you was headed that way, I'll just give you some shorthand information. When you get to the sign that says Holman Correctional Facility, you turn left and you go down there, and that at that time it housed all the life without parolers, death row, and the electric chair. It was death by electrocution in those days was there, and all the most hardened criminals in the state of Alabama resided in that prison and that's why they put me there because they said that you'll never get out of prison you'll get life without parole when I was thrust into that world I was introduced to demonic activity like I had never seen in my life that most people never seen or witnessed and I witnessed how these things operate God and while I was in prison it's a long story I'm just trying to hurry through this and trying to lay a little foundation here but while I was in there what I done God began to use me along the lines and, and the gift of discerning of spirits would operate through me from time to time as a spirit wills and I would see into the realm of the spirit and I would see these demons and how they operated that wasn't a long drawn out thing but not only did I see them some of the sinners that did not know God seen these things I remember I'm thinking about one convict now that uh, was constantly making fun of me because I was leading the church I pastored a convict church said, what's the difference? I had a captive audience. I guarantee you. Somebody said, you can't hold an audience captive, Brother Randy. I beg your pardon. I had me a captive audience. Brother, we had them locked up and locked down. But I pastored a convict church. And this guy was just uh, costly trying to harass it because I had witnessed to him once or twice. Because what you do, you had to be led by the Holy Ghost. Because some of them folks would just kill you for looking at them crooked. I mean, they didn't have nothing to live for, life without parole. And so you had to be wise in what you done. You don't mean you didn't witness, but you prayed and made sure the Holy Ghost was in it. And you was ready to go to heaven before you go and talk to somebody. <laughs> you made sure you was right for God before God, before you went and talked to them. Because they may get you to meet your maker before you wanted to. So I ran into this demonic activity. And I remember this guy, he just kept on. He would harass church members and things like that. And really all along God was dealing with him. And he was under conviction. It's what we used to call it in old time Pentecost. He knew he needed to get right. But one day I was sitting in my cell. 
and it sounded like a half of a tornado, maybe a quarter of a tornado, maybe an eighth of a tornado, uh, coming down the hallway. And I wondered what in the world was that? Somebody a hollering and a stomping and a running and a tromping, and that was unusual, you know, down the prison hall. I'm sitting in my cell, and all of a sudden, this thing come through my door. And it was that convict had been making fun of me and my church members. He said, I saw the devil. I saw the devil. I saw him. He is real. I is real. I said, calm down, brother. I ain't coming down. I saw the devil. I saw him. Well, where's this Jesus that you talking about? My God, I want to meet this Jesus. <laughs> he saw the devil. Now, he didn't actually saw the devil. He saw a demon. And he saw it running down the hall of the prison. God opened his eyes and let him see in the spirit realm. And you talking about scaring the devil out of somebody? It scared the devil out of him. An eighth of a tornado. Whoa! <laughs> let me meet this Jesus. And if Christians, my God, if Christians could just get a glimpse of that world, it would change your life. The church, some, excuse me, but some of the church laugh about these things. But these things exist. And remember, we talked about that. Not to get demon conscious and devil kooky. But these seducing spirits, that's how we got talking about this, how they operate. And then another friend of mine, uh, William Seagraves, who's in heaven. He's in heaven now. He used to work for us, and he was an excellent musician. Probably one of the best lead guitar players I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he could do it. He played with any of the big boys you name out there, the rock and rollers. But he had drugged it up so long, he had abused his body so much, and, and then after he come to the Lord and got straightened out, there were some things that he needed to do physically for his body, and he didn't do that, and we tried to help him for many years. He was a good fellow, don't get me wrong. But again, as far as I know, he was the best lead guitar player that I've ever seen, but he could do it. I mean, he could just play that guitar, and uh, the anointing would come on him. But he was the way he come to the Lord. He was in Atlanta, Georgia at a Blue Oyster Cult concert. Now, if you don't know who they are, bless you. My God, help you. <laughs> but the 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, we come out of that. And just so does he. And he was drugging it up. I mean, you whatever you could snort, smoke, take, drink, shoot, whatever else, he would do it. From washing powders to Clorox. It didn't matter. You know, when you got a true junkie, they will shoot cold water in their veins for a rush. I don't know how far it should go. I've seen junkies that had holes in their bodies this big as a half a dollar. And you could see the veins in there because they had stuck them needles in there so long. They had to shoot needles in their groins to get a vein. I'm talking about true junkies. These come out of the 60s and 70s. That's where I come from. In fact, everybody I grew up with is in the cemetery today. I'm the only surviving one. Nobody survived. Everybody's dead. Everybody. That I immediate, my immediate boy friends, you know, that I grew up with, the boys I grew up with, they're dead. They're in a the cemetery. I'm the only surviving one out of that era that I grew up in. Now, I'm not talking about everybody there, but ones I was close to. But this friend of mine, William, was at a Blue Oyster Cult concert. He was all tripped out, flipped out, messed up, drugged out, acid out, you know, mescaline out, whatever else out, quaalude out, in between out, whatever else he could find. Maybe in and out. Somebody said in and out burgers is somewhere. But anyway, 
the devil appeared to him. The devil. He said it was a devil. Appeared to him in a blue oyster cult concert. And you know what he did? He ran screaming outside of the main auditorium because he seen this thing and it was chasing him. He fell down outside in the foyer area. He said he didn't care who was around there. And he put his arms to heaven and said, God save me, don't let the devil get me. The devil was scared out of him. He, the, he scared the devil out of him when he saw that and it forever changed his life. So I entered into a world, when you go over into that arena and get real far over there or deal with people like that, that's when you meet a lot of these things. And, and most people never have to go over there, thank God. But uh, while I was in prison, I was introduced to a demonic world and seducing spirits like I had never seen or known. Cast out many demons. It's in my book back here, Escape from Hell. And if you're on the live stream, you can go to rgm.me. You can get instant downloads. All you do is click a button and zing. It's right there. Uh, you know, and have the book or any other thing that we talk about in relation to this. But uh, he was... Uh, there and he gave his heart and life to God. And so I, when I went to prison as a born again spirit filled Christian, then I was introduced and we to this and cast out many devils. And it was amazing how demons would get into people. Sometimes, not all the time, and I, I, my series out there teaches, but I don't have time to just cover a little high ground here. Sometimes you have to know how the devil got in there to make him leave. Not all the time, very rarely. And you have to be led by the Spirit. That don't mean you... But you would be amazed at the simple little things people do every day that opens themselves up to the devil. I'm talking about Christians. You'd be amazed. You would be shocked at the simple things that seem innocent that opens... That don't mean they're possessed. But you're giving the devil an opportunity to get hold to you. Sister Jeannie Wilkerson, who, Brother Joel, you remember way back yonder, Sister Jeannie, she's gone on to be with heaven, you know, into heaven many years ago, saint of God. I, I can't say that. But anyway, because it would be misunderstood, we got it live stream and everything. But she talked about some demonic things and things she saw along these lines. And some of the things I saw and uh, heard and was revealed to me, I may never be able to share this side of heaven. Because people think you're an absolute nut when you share some of these things. But it was amazing to me, and I used to before I knew any better. See, you don't make mistakes. I give you the benefit of the doubt. You don't make mistakes. But I made the mistake because I got to casting out so many demons out of convicts that's in prison. So many of them started coming to God and we'd cast the devil out of them. They'd get born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. I began to keep a list, a notebook of the devil's names that I cast out. Demons have names just like you and I do. They're different, of course, but they have names. And so I began to keep a record of all the demons I cast out like an idiot, you know, just in case I run across them again. I want to do some research on this and find out how they travel, you know. And the Lord spoke to me one day and said, throw that notebook away. He said, you're studying more about the devil than you are my word. I didn't realize that, you know, but he knew that. And so in my...
security. I didn't know any better. And I, I threw the thing away and I got rid of it and I forgot. I quit counting the demons. But it was hundreds of them. Because what I would do is I would write down also beside this demon how it got in that person's body. Now I'm not talking about thinking a person is possessed. I'm talking about total demon possession. Taking over spirit, soul, and body. But it was amazing again as the seemingly innocent things that even Christians, the world does it all the time, but even Christians will practice. And it opens the door to the devil in their life and they don't even know it. Have no idea. That don't mean the devil comes into them or nothing. But when you get open your life up to him, he can take advantage of you. So we be wise, won't we? And walk in line with the Word of God. So the world of the demonic was opened up to me, not because I wanted it. I wasn't seeking it. I, I didn't desire it. I was thrust into it. Thrust into it as a necessity. God just throwed me right in the middle of it. I say, he, I got myself in prison, but he gave me the anointing to deal with it. April the 5th, 1984. I remember that day when the anointing of God came on me and the devil got out of my way. I'm here to tell you, we begin to cast out devils from that day and see many people set free there in prison and begin to see how these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils operate and how they infiltrate even the Christian world. But we was talking here about seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Remember, there's two different things. He said, some shall depart from the faith giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. How a seducing spirit does what? Just by definition, they seduce people. They trick people. They deceive people. They lie to people. Now, how do they operate? Now, this is what I learned by revelation and by experience. See, if you have experience, though, that doesn't line up with the Bible, throw the experience away and stay with the Bible. But by revelation and by experience in relation to the Word of God... This is what I learned about demon spirits earlier, early on, years ago in the 1980s, beginning in 82, 83, 84, right in there. I've learned a lot about this for a couple of years. And uh, the way demon spirits operate, and the number one way, the number one, now there's other ways, but the number one way that a seducing spirit comes to seduce you, the number one way. Are you ready for this? Everybody online ready for this? The number one way is through somebody else that's already seduced by that spirit. That's the number one way. That's the number one. Seducing spirit, the number one way they come to you is through someone else that's already seduced by that spirit. That's how they come. They'll come and the person will be nice, they'll be calm, and that don't mean, you know, that you've got to hate anybody. But you've got to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. But the number one way the seducing spirits and false doctrines get started in the church is through somebody else that's already seduced by that thing. Then they get up and declare this new great revelation that they have received. And what it usually does is it starts off with a solid biblical doctrine then that doctrine is stretched and stretched and stretched and stretched. You know, you can stretch a rubber band. You know, the bigger the rubber band and the more powerful the rubber band, the further you can stretch it. But after a while, you can stretch it too fur, Granny says. And when you stretch it too fur, what happens? The fur flies. It breaks and snaps. Well, that's the way Bible doctrines are. You may stretch them a little bit, but you keep stretching them long enough, you break it, and it's not a Bible doctrine anymore. 
It is a false doctrine or a doctrine of the devil. That's what it is. But the number one way that Satan seduces people today through a seducing spirit, I'm talking about how seducing spirits operate, is through someone else that's already seduced by that spirit. That's the devil's number one priority. Why? Because you'll trust human beings. You trust yourself the most or should. But you're going to trust human beings second. And then somebody, sometimes you're usually close to third. So that's the number one way that the seducing spirits operate. Number two, the, the second thing, the way that he comes against you, a seducing spirits does, is uh, that the seducing spirit comes against you personally by suggesting thoughts into your mind. In other words, if he can't come to you through somebody else, because that's the number one preferred way. If he can't come to you through somebody else that's already possessed by that thing or either obsessed by it, not necessarily possessed, but obsessed or oppressed by it, then what they're going to do, if he can't get you that way through somebody else, he's going to start working on your mind. And I'll tell you how these things operate. These seducing spirits will work on people for years and years and years and years and years, and years, and years, and in tra trying to establish a mindset or a way of thinking at an individual. And they'll be outside of them whispering things into their mind, suggesting thoughts into their mind. It's called, Jesus called it to Dad Hagen, a, a, a oppression. And the enemy's outside putting these thoughts. <clears throat> and that don't mean we have to fear him. All we do is recognize him. The devil only hangs around people that he likes. Don't jump out of your chair and shout now. I said, but the devil only hangs around, what to put it like this, stays around people he likes. People he don't like, he leaves. Now, yes, you're them chapter and verse people and thank God you are. Where's it at in the Bible? Remember when the devil came to Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness? What did Jesus do? He just kept quoting the Word. He would not enter a conversation with the devil. And every time the devil said something to him, he quoted the Word of God back to him. You never take a passive position when it comes to the devil. Never. You can't be passive. Because he is forceful, he's intimidating, and he's going to get you to bow down to him. But if you stand up to him right away and put him in his place with what? The sword of the Spirit, the written word of God, he is going to leave you. Because how do you know? The Bible says after the devil had tried all these temptations to get Jesus, then the devil left him. He didn't like hanging around Jesus. And he don't like anybody that stands on the word and confesses that word. So there's no fear. You don't have to be afraid of any devil. But when he starts suggesting things to you that contradict God's Word, and somebody said, how do you know if the devil's suggesting something to you? If it's against the Bible and don't line up with the Bible, it's the devil. You know, he'll give you a thought in the first person and make you think it's your thought. I so-and-so, or I'm so and it won't even be your thought. It'll be the thought that he put in there and he's trying to get you to believe that thought. Don't take it. You never possess a thought unless you meditate it upon it deeply and speak it out of your mouth. Thoughts will die unborn unless you embrace them. What happened to Eve in the garden? The devil suggested some thoughts to her. She entered into conversation with him, which she hadn't, should have never done. Isn't that right? What should she have done? Quoted God's Word and that's it. 
Stop where the word stops. Don't go in there and say, go try to trick him. He is the master of deception. The master. He is seducer of all seducers. And you're not going to out-seduce him, out-master him. So don't try it. Jesus Christ wrote the Word. The Word of God was given to us by the Holy Ghost so that through the Word, we can walk in victory over the devil. But He is the master of seduction. So you're not going to be smarter than Him. He's been around a long, long time. He knows every trick in the book. He knows every negotiation tactic that you could come up with. Never negotiate with the devil. Now, why do we say this? We're talking about how God is speaking to the church. He comes through seducing spirits. Remember, we talked about those. Just, and I got, I got a series out there called Seducing Spirits. And if it's not there, it's my website, rgm.me. Uh, rgm.me, and you can get instant downloads. I mean, bang, right there. But it may be out there about how to overcome seducing spirits. And the Lord gave me, I think it was two or three hours of teaching along this line and some uh, situations and, and things and about how to deal with these things. And it will be a benefit to anybody that wants to get them entertained because you can't teach and talk and preach about everything. But the, remember, the church today is being infiltrated, how? By doctrines of devils through what? Seducing spirits. Seducing spirits are entering the church. Why? Because if seducing spirits can bring doctrines of devils in the church and establish doctrines of devils, then we are no longer believing the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are believing the devil. And he's got us. So he don't just come in, you know, as we've seen, you know, with the pitchfork and the long tail and the ears and the fangs. He transforms himself into an angel of light. And he comes floating in. And then the next thing you know, there's some false doctrine going, which is simply most of the time, it is a spiritual truth in God's Word or doctrine taken to the extreme. And then if he can ever get you off into the extremes, he's going to get you extremely in error. That's what he does. He never rarely ever takes you all the way into error at once. It's usually over a period of time. Sometimes over a period of months. Sometimes it may take several years. But if you keep yielding to Him and listening to Him, He'll get you over there. So, what is God saying to the church? How do we deal with what's come against the church today? What do we do? What do we put into uh, uh, action in order to stop this? Well, the first thing we put into action is we put in the action of prayer. Because prayer is going to take us back to our spiritual roots, and cause us to discover some things that we need to discover in this day, in this time, and in this season that we live in. Turn to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. Remember we're saying tonight, you're speaking about what the Lord is saying to the church. Remember, we're not saying everything. We're making a disclaimer. I'm not saying everything the Lord is saying to the church because I don't know everything the Lord is saying to the church. I just know the thing He's saying to me. You understand? And He's saying a lot of things and that's why we have different ministry gifts. Where did I say turn to? Boy, y'all are in the Spirit. 
Genesis 26. What we do is we go back to prayer. And Genesis 26, <clears throat> in verse number 17, says, and we're going to look at a spiritual lesson today from a natural analogy that happened in the Old Testament. The reason we live in the New Testament, we, I say, put it like this, we live in the New Testament, we basically base our lives upon the letters that was written to the Christian or the saints, and we dwell in them and meditate on them. However, the Old Testament is full of spiritual principles, spiritual principles that can be interpreted by the Holy Ghost to apply to a New Testament terminology that we need to stand, understand and put into practice. So the way I got this is because God began to speak to me about that. Because I'm dealing with this solution, and I'm dealing with this as I travel across America in my own meetings and go into places and get questions and calls and, and about seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and how it's, it's causing a lot of confusion in the body of Christ and how the enemy is coming against the church as a whole. How do you deal with it? And so I begin to talk to the Lord. And over a period of time, keeping my spiritual antenna up, like uh, we was talking about this morning, uh, uh, the Lord said to me, He said, the problem with the church, this is what He said. Now, this is, He said this to me a couple of years ago, maybe two and a half years ago or more, right in there somewhere. He said, the problem with the church today is they need to go back and redig the wells of their spiritual fathers. Now, redigging the wells of the spiritual fathers meant going back and discover the truths that they taught us and build on their foundation. It seems like that we've come into a place, and not to demean anybody, God wants us to progress. He wants us to move forward. And so does, you know, our, our mothers and fathers in the Lord, our mamas and daddies in the Spirit, even those that went on ahead. They want us to go much further than they went. But they want us to go the right way. And when you come up with something absolutely new and do a new thing that's not based on the principles that God is doing, you're doing your own thing, not God's thing. And that's when you get in trouble. Because God is not going to anoint what He does not design. In fact, you could say it this way. God is only going to occupy what He designs. And the Old Testament, when the temple was built according to the architectural design that God had given from heaven and built exactly the way with the right colors, the right instruments there, the way it was the Holy of Holies being set up, when it was built exactly and even the dimensions and measurements, when it was built that way, the glory of God came in and the priest could not stand to minister. God occupies always what He designs. So if, if you design your life according to the pattern that God has established in His Word, get ready. You're going to be occupied. You're going to be possessed by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> See, if you can be possessed by the devil, you flat can be possessed by the Holy Ghost. Maybe not the right word to use, you know, because people look at that in a different way. But God will fill you to overflowing. And that's the truth. When you built it according to the architectural design and plan of God, God's going to occupy it. And that's what God is endeavoring to do today. He's trying to get the church to come back to the original design, the original plan, not to stay there, but to build there. 
build on that foundation. Every generation has spiritual truths that's been passed on and anointings that's been passed on. But if we don't pick up those truths and we don't pick up those anointings, uh, we may go on, but we're not going on with God. Elijah, when he was called up, remember, in the chariot, it came down and took him up. I'm going to take a trip on that good old gospel ship. I'm going far beyond the sky. I'm going to shout and sing while the heavens ring while I'm bidding this world goodbye. Pentecostal folks might know that. It's called the good old gospel ship. Woo! And that must have been what come down and got Elijah. Remember Elijah and his servant, our follower that served him was Elijah. And Elijah, when he was called up, remember he dropped his mantle, which was a type and shadow of the anointing of God and the spiritual truths that Elijah had learned. And so Elijah was standing over here. The mantle was laying there on the ground. Elijah had to walk from where he was at, go over and respect that mantle and recognize what it was, pick that mantle up, and he walked to the Jordan River where they had just crossed and he smote that river and said, where is the God of Elijah? Elijah didn't say, well, I'm glad he's gone. My God, that old washed up fogey. Yeah. Yeah. That all washed up for you. Why don't you get up here? He's not up with the times. You don't have to be up with the times. You got to be up with God. That's what you need to be up with. Isn't that right? You got to be up with God. And so Elijah picked up the mantle of Elijah, but he had to go pick it up. God didn't force him. God didn't make him. In fact, that day, three times, Elijah tried to get Elijah to stay behind where he wouldn't be there when the mantle fell. See, if you got a price, the devil will pay it. And that's another message. He told Elijah, Elijah did, said, you just go on about your business, go on, you know, I know you got things to do, just go on. He said, as my master lives, as my Lord lives, I'm not going to let you out of my sight. You can do what you want to. You can tell me, I'm just staying right here. I'll be right here when the morning comes, be right here, and then go run. Let's go. He'd done it three times, trying to talk Elijah. And there's another message in that. There's a price to pay. For the things of God. But he wouldn't leave it. He, wouldn't, he recognized the importance of it and he wasn't going to leave it lying there on the ground. He went over and picked up that mantle. But he had to pick it up. Isn't that right? We need to pick up the mantle of our spiritual fathers. Genesis 26, 17. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac, notice here what Isaac did. Digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of who? Abraham, his father. Now this was his natural father, right? But we have spiritual fathers. We have spiritual mothers. Again, the Lord. You just have to accept this. You know, you can call me false or liar. What the Lord told me about two to two and a half years ago, maybe three, don't lie, that this was the problem of the church today. And until the church goes back and redig the wells, Isaac digged again the wells of water, <coughs> which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had what? Stopped them. We'd call them stopped them up. After the death of who? Abraham. 
Abraham protected these wells. He watched over these wells. What did this mean for us spiritually speaking? Our fathers protected the truths that God had given them that had been passed on to them from previous generations. They protected those anointings and they weren't going to let no Philistine, no doctrine of devil or seducing spirit steal from their generation. God has been trying to build the church and empower the church generation after generation after generation and every generation receives an impartation there to give to the next generation so they can increase in their generation and then give it to the next generation so we can usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. But it seems like the devil tries to get the church fighting God not even knowing what they're doing. How? By fighting the elders that's already paid the price and went before us. They done dug these wells. Do you think how much work it is to dig a well? Well, I've dug wells by hand with a shovel and some other folks helping us. You put big pipes down there in the country. That's the way you've done it. Don't make me get y'all out here in the yard. My God. <laughs> you can't appreciate a dug well till you dug did one. When you dug one, brother, or digged one, you are digging. You could say you're a digger then. I'm talking about it sure enough. Because you are sweating. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of effort. In fact, you get, go, keep going and you keep going until you hit water and then you bail that out and go further and further to make sure you got a good flow. Don't make me come back there, I'm telling you. So our spiritual fathers got in and started digging for these truths. They started praying. There's no telling how many thousands of hours Kenneth E. Hagin prayed. There's no telling how many thousands of hours Brother Summerall prayed. Brother Smith Wigglesworth prayed. And you name Bosworth, anybody else prayed. They prayed. They sought God. They dug out truths that the devil is trying to take out of the church today. But guess what? All is not lost. Why? Isaac realized, I've got to go back to where Daddy started this thing. And I've got to clean out that well. In other words, we've got to go back and get those spiritual truths. Is there effort involved? Yes. And I know that's an ugly word today. There's effort involved. It's work. I think they taught us when we went to Bible school, wouldn't you spell ministry how? W-O-R-K. Oh, y'all didn't know that? It's spelled W-O-R-K. You work at this. Not in the sense of works to earn nothing, but it's an effort that you put forth to accomplish God's will. It says, For Isaac digged again the wells of water, verse 18 of Genesis 26, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines, which represented the devil, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and everything that opposed God, had stopped them up, you could say, after the death of Abraham. Because why? There was nobody there to protect the spiritual truths anymore. I'm talking about in the New Testament sense. And he called their names what? After the names by which his father had called them. Why did he do that? Because he reverenced and respect his daddy. He didn't try to come up with some kind of new thing. He didn't even call the name of the well something different after he cleaned it out and say, look at me, I take credit for this. No. He said, daddy taught me this. Daddy helped me dig this. Daddy showed me this, and I didn't realize it years ago. I didn't realize how important it was, and I let the Philistines take it over. But I'm going back, regardless of what the Philistines say, and I'm going to dig this well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a shovel in everybody's hand. (laughs) Spiritually speaking, and we're going to dig these wells out. 
And it ain't going to take long. Enough of us getting a hold to it. Redig these wells and go back to the spiritual truths because these are what we're going to have to have to build the foundation on. He said he called these wells their names after the name by which his father had called them. He gave his father credit. He reverenced his father. He respected his father. But when we disregard what our spiritual mothers and fathers have taught us, and we lay their doctrines by the wayside and say they're washed up old fogies, and they don't know what they was talking about, and we don't have to do what they said anymore because their way is don't fit our society. Times have changed, and it's different now, and we need to act different now. We need to be different now. We don't need to preach that way anymore. What you're doing is, as you're helping the Philistines, fill in the well. Covering up truths. Because Satan's desire is to hide spiritual truths and anointings from every generation. Because if he can, he'll paralyze the church. If you don't have the revelation, you don't have the anointing. I said if you don't have the revelation, you don't have the anointing. If you don't have the revelation, I'm talking about from heaven, I'm talking about of man. Of heaven, there's no anointing because God is not going to bless man's revelation. He's going to bless His revelation. So what we do is we go back to what our spiritual mothers and fathers taught us and we build on their foundation. Dad Hagen told us all. He told us. He said, I expect you boys, and he would throw the ladies in there too, to go much further than I've ever had. He said, at that time when I was uh, first attending school, we was going there together, your pastor and I, and again I told you that they're still trying to straighten the place out, I think. Even Brother Joel went back out there trying to help them, you know. <laughs> but, oh, Jesus, help us. But anyway, Brother Hagin used to tell us about time 50-something years that he had learned. He said, it's taken me over 50-something years to learn the truths that I'm teaching you now. He said, I've done made the mistakes. He said, and I'm teaching you what I learned. He said, you don't have to make the same mistakes that I made. You don't have to have the same struggles that I have to have. Now he said, that don't mean you're going to start out right where I'm at. He said, but at least you can start out with what I know. He said, if you'll take this and embrace this, he said, I expect you to go much further than what I know. And many times we look at our moms and dads and the Lord as trying to hold us back. No, they know what's good for us. For instance, you know, a good analogy of that, uh, uh, you know, we're from down in uh, Georgia. You know, originally, I, I'm out in Oklahoma now. I don't know if I'm an Okie from Muskogee or not. We're close, you know what I mean? Muskogee County. I was born in Muskogee County, Georgia. Now I live by Muskogee County. I live in Wagner County, but Muskogee County is rather spelled a little different, but the same as a lot of reasons why all that. But anyway, I can't tell you all those truths. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, this is from Georgia. And my son coming up, we, we used to get the watermelons. You could get them out of the field. They grow a lot of watermelons in the field. Y'all got any watermelon patches around here? Just very few. But I mean watermelons for half a mile. I mean just go out there and just find you one under the shade tree. Woo-hoo! Take your pocket knife out and zip that thing open and woo, just reach down in there and grab you a bite and just get it all over you. It ain't good unless you get it all over you. And get the kind that's got the seeds in it where you can spit them. You know what I mean? Just, just spit. I mean, just get them going. Well, my son, you know, he, he, we grew up with this watermelon thing, you know, and we was at his grandmother and granddaddy's house and out behind and on a picnic table. 
went and got us one of them watermelons and they put it in the refrigerator, made room in there to get it cold, you know what I mean? And they got it good and cool, not cold, cold, but cool. And so wait, everybody wanted to have a watermelon cutting, you know. It's nothing better than having a watermelon cutting, except maybe buttermilk and cornbread. Woo-wee! You can plow a mule 40 rows and some buttermilk and cornbread. You throw some cracklings in the cornbread, you know what I mean? Woo-wee! You can get on down the road with it. But I took the watermelon and set it up there on the table, you know. We had some paper laid out and all that stuff. So when you cut it, you know, it wouldn't get all over everything. And I had this big butcher knife that my mother-in-law had. And I was the official watermelon color. You know, that was just, that's your job. You know, you get certain assignments in the family and that's just, everybody gets out of the way. And, and so I turned out to be the official watermelon cutter by default. That's basically how it all happened. And so I was there, and I wasn't paying really attention, you know, and my son was sitting there on the bench, or I say sitting, he was on his knees because he's about three, four years old, you know. So he's sitting up there, Daddy, you know, watermelon, pointing all this kind of stuff, and he's ready for his, you know. And while I'm in the process, he had watched me many times cut watermelons. And while I'm there, you know, getting everything and holding everything, and, and, and all of a sudden, the next thing I know, I seen out of my peripheral vision his hand go towards that butcher knife. He picked that butcher knife up, and I knew that he wasn't supposed to have that butcher knife in his hand. I immediately popped his hand and grabbed the blade of that butcher knife so he couldn't move it. Because I knew he didn't know what he did. When I got cut or not, I wouldn't go let my baby get cut. Mamas and daddies don't do that, you know. And so I grabbed that thing like that and I popped his hand real, just to startle him to let it go. And you know what he did? He thought daddy didn't love him. But daddy loved him more than life. And I, my life. And I knew that he didn't know what to do with that butcher knife. I knew that he could hurt me, hurt himself, not because he wanted to, he just didn't know any better. So you don't put a butcher knife in a three or four year old's hand and let him cut a watermelon. Isn't that right? And then when you do correct the three or four year old for their own good, what happens? They don't understand because they're not at that mentality level. Now today at 19 years old, I could probably toss him a butcher knife. <laughs> don't try this at home. Now don't, you know, I don't. I, yeah. Oh no, they're going to come get me now. But anyway, but you know what I'm talking about. I mean, he's matured. But he thought daddy was wrong for correcting him. And he got upset because daddy was wrong. When our spiritual mamas and daddies correct us, many times we cry and squall because we don't realize they know more than we do about what we're trying to do. And they're trying to help us. They done made that mistake. They know what that knife's going to do. They know where that path's going to take you. And so they stand up and holler, No! Stop! Isn't that right? Don't go that way. Why? Not because they don't love you, but because they do love you. And they don't want to see you wind up on the spiritual junk heap of life. And so many times when our moms and dads and the Lord have corrected us, even in our day, the corrections have been lost out there. Because there was a lot of error. Especially in Dad Hagen's latter days, he was correcting a lot of things that had got way out of proportion. And other people did too, you know. And ministers of the gospel, he wasn't the only one. 
But he was the one that I was called to follow. And so when we despise, though, what they taught us because we don't like their correction, then we lose the revelation and the Philistines cover it up. When you lose the revelation, you lose the anointing. When you lose the anointing, you become ineffective and powerless to win the world, much less deal with the devil. Because you can't deal with the devil, nor can I in my own strength and my own ability. The only way I can do it is through the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the revelation of God's Word. So Isaac, again, went back and redug the wells of his spiritual father. He reverenced and respected him and called the wells the same names to reverence his daddy and honor him. It says in Isaac, verse 19, And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerard did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well, and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence, and digged another well, and for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. God will make room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land again. The church has been mocked at, laughed at, made ashamed of, made fun of, but if we go back, and we are in the process of doing it now, redig the wells of our spiritual mamas and daddies and discover these truths and put them into practice, He's going to make room for us again in this nation and the nations of the world, and we're going to be fruitful in the land. Now, if you'll notice here, not only did Isaac redig the wells of his father, he went and dug new wells too. These names of these other wells, he dug. So he built on the foundation of what his daddy taught him. He knew how to dig the well because his daddy taught him how to do it. But in order to dig his own wells, he had to first go back and clean out his daddy's wells out of respect and reverence. So spiritually speaking, we go back and we pick up the spiritual truths that our moms and dads in the faith have taught us uh, and we go on from there. Now when you talk about this sometimes, people will accuse you or have accused uh, of following a dead man or following a dead person. But let me tell you what the Bible says here. I've got a few notes. Moses was quoted or referred to, he was already passed away now, under the reign of Joshua, Moses was in Joshua, starting in Joshua chapter one. Moses was quoted or referred to fifty-eight times in the book of Joshua. When Joshua took command, he didn't say Moses was an old fogey. He didn't know what he was doing. He was washed up. He couldn't even get us to the promised land. Look at him. We died out here in the wilderness. No. Moses was quoted or referred to 58 times in the book of Joshua. What does that mean? Joshua had respect for what Moses said. Why? Because God himself told Joshua to follow Moses. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. I'll close. Sometimes. But we're getting there. Fixing to. That means you're commencing to fixing to do something or what? It, it don't mean, he, he said it means absolutely nothing. That's right. I remember that right. It means absolutely nothing. That's right. So where are we turning to again? 
I'm over here in Deuteronomy. All I got to do is keep rolling. Joshua chapter 1. Did God tell Joshua to follow Moses who had passed away? Let's see what the Bible says. Verse 7 of Joshua 1. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to everything that you can think up and your committee meeting says. Your Bible don't say that. You better check it. He said, only be thou strong. He's talking to Joshua. This is God speaking. This is God speaking right here. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, all the law, which who? Which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Prosperity is found in following our elders. He followed his elders. Following your elders, following them. I remember I was going through a financial dilemma one time. And I had uh, Pastor Stan Moore <coughs> out at North Miami Beach, Florida. He called me. He had never called me before never called me since. But I had said to the Lord, I was going through it. I'm talking about in our ministry and it just looked like we was going under 47 ways. I said, can you do that? I don't know. It might have been 67 ways. But it looked like, man, nothing's working. We're sowing. We're giving it. I mean, we're, we're, the ship is sinking. And we're ready to jump off. But they wouldn't know where to jump. <laughs> Everything's going. And I, I mean, I would got under it. And I know you confess the word. You sow. You give. You know, I, I'm doing all this. And I got so cluttered with all this thinking. Finally, I just spoke out one day and I said to the Lord, Lord, if you're trying to communicate something to my spirit that I've been able to pick up because I let the weight of this get on me and I know better, have someone call me and tell me. He said, someone will call you today. So I started whistling. Everything's happy. It wasn't long. My wife called from the office because I was at her home believing God and praying, you know. And because her staff knew nothing about what was going on, payroll and all this kind of stuff, you know. And uh, I got a call from my wife. My wife said, you'll never guess who just called. I said, who? She said, Pastor Stan Moore out of North Miami Beach, Florida. I said, what do you want? She said, I don't know. But he said, the Lord told him to call you and he needs to talk to you right now, pronto. He said, here's his number, personal number. Call him right now. I said, yes, ma'am, give it to me. I called, ding, ding, ding. And his, uh, his wife answered on, a secretary answered on his cell phone. And said, this is Brother Randy. I said, yes. He said, wait just a moment. No, wait a minute. She said, he had to go into a meeting. There's something he couldn't get out of. He's going to be gone 15 minutes. Give me your number. He'll call you right back. Within 15 minutes or less, I got a phone call from Pastor Stan Moore. Now, he's an elder in the body. I mean, he knows the Holy Ghost and he knows the Lord. But he's an elder in the body of Christ, didn't he? When you consider him to be that. He called me on the phone. He said, Brother Randy. He said, this is uh, Pastor Stan Moore out of North Miami Beach, Florida. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. How you doing, sir? He said, I want to know and I want to tell you what your problem is. He said, do you believe that I can hear from God? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you believe I know the Holy Ghost? Yes, sir. He said, do you believe I can prophesy to you and tell you the truth? I said, yes, sir. I said, sir, why are you asking me all these things? He said, because you young whippersnappers think y'all know it all and y'all won't listen to us that's done been down this road and we can save y'all a lot of time. I said, sir, I'm the one what is listening. Just tell me. Just try me. Now, I'm not a whippersnapper. I done been snipped, snapped in half. You just tell me what you want to tell me and I'll do it. 
He said, you know what your problem is? I said, thou knowest, sir. It's always a good answer. Thou knowest, sir. Because I, I really didn't know. Well, you know what your problem is about finances? And that's what he's calling me about, you know. He don't have no way of knowing. He said, do you know what your problem is about finances? I said, thou knowest, sir. He said, your problem is you don't believe the prophet of God who God told you to set at his feet. And if you would do what he told you to do, you wouldn't have no financial problems. I said, yes, sir. That's the way you answer your elders. Yes, sir, and no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. May not be popular up north, but it's popular down south. <laughs> Woo! You just say yes, them and no, some. I mean, that's the way you do. If they tell you to do something, you do it. And that's the way it goes. I'm here to tell you. Say, yes, sir. I said, what you want me to do? What you? He said, you get the book that Jesus Christ revealed to Kenneth Egg in the mini book, how God taught me about prosperity. And he said, I want you to read it, meditate on it, and study it over and over and over until you get it in your spirit, then practice it. I said, yes, sir. He said, don't make me have to call you back. I said, you won't, sir. I'll do it, sir. I'll guarantee you. I, I'll come to my I knew he was upset. But you know why he was upset? Because he loved me. He cared about me. And he wanted to see me develop. Now, I could have took it. Oh, I can't use anything ever. And a washed up old No. And you know what? I'd have been broke, busted, and disgusted probably from now on. But I'd done what he said, and it turned my things around. And he said, oh, by the way, he said, what's your overnight mailing address? God told me to send you a substantial sum. I said, some are on, brother. <laughs> some are on. <laughs> And he did. He's never done it before that day or since that day. But it was a holy day. My God, it was a high and holy day. And it came by FedEx the next day and it was right on time. My God. But when it came, the Lord said to me, now don't depend on this. Get it for yourself. God will help you. But he wants us to grow. How'd y'all get me over here anyway? Man, I was talking about fathers and something. God told Joshua himself, right, to follow Moses. Moses, talk about Moses being followed. Moses was quoted or referred to 80 times in the New Testament. 80 times he was quoted or referred to. And this is a man that had lived thousands of years before the New Testament. But Jesus respected him. Paul respected him. The church founders respected him. And we can't even respect people that lived in our generation. Forgive me, Lord. 38 times in the four Gospels alone, Moses was mentioned. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he was still being respected. Abraham himself was quoted or referred to 68 times in the New Testament, 30 times in the four Gospels alone. So did they still respect their elders in that day? They certainly did. Had they laid aside what Moses had taught them in that day? Certainly not. Did they glean and gather spiritual truths from our founding fathers of the faith? I'm talking about of the faith. From back there, certainly they did. In fact, the whole New Testament was written on spiritual truths revealed out of the Old Testament. Paul said so. Now that's another hour message. But Paul said so. 
He went back and studied the writings and the teachings and he seen who Jesus was out of the Old Testament and God gave him further revelation. Started on the foundation that was already written. God expects us to go further. And it's time for you and I to move on out and do not doubt. We can move into a place with God in this day and we can praise God and shout. Because He's the one that says, Come on up, come on up and do not doubt. Dig out the wells. Dig out the wells, and over Satan you shall prevail. And you will see that seducing spirits and false doctrines will flee away, and you'll walk in a brand new way. For you'll see that my spirit and my power is upon my people for this hour. And the things that the enemy intended for bad uh, to destroy my people, you will see that I will raise you up and give you a testimony of great supernatural victory. So it's time to move in victory. Father... In the name of Jesus, we thank you for the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for the